Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. So glad to be with each and every one of you today. Uh, I'm going to ask you this morning to not turn to the book of Romans, but to turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to take one quick uh, pause, one week pause in our journey through the book of Romans. We've been going through the entire book. And trust me, it was a very hard decision because I have been waiting to preach Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 this entire time. It's probably one of my favorite texts. And uh, so you got to be here next week uh, and the week after that and the week after that. You pretty much you can't miss, okay? Just be here every week. Uh, but we'll continue next week. But because we are starting tomorrow in our 21 days of prayer as a church, and by the way, uh, I think Christina already mentioned it, but feel free to pick up a, a prayer guide uh, at the info center. And they're also available digitally on our website. And it's going to guide you each and every day with the prayer prompt and a prayer verse. And uh, if you're not following us on social media, Christina's going to be putting those on social media as well. So follow us at Restoration Peoria. But I really just want to stop for one week and address uh, prayer. Uh, that's really what I want to do today. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses specifically, verses 5 through 13. And we're not going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer, verses 1 through 4, but there is a series that we did that's available on YouTube on the Lord's Prayer. So if you want more details on the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to look that up on our YouTube channel. But if you would open your word with me, and uh, let's read the scripture, and we'll just get a running start and start at the very top of verse of chapter 11. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the way that you've taught your disciples and us how to pray. And God, I pray today that you would speak to us through the power of your word and through the power of the spirit that dwells within each and every one of us. And God, I pray, ask, and even beg you that if there's any one of us in here who is not of you, may you draw them by your mighty power and sovereign grace. God, I pray that you would encourage us today with this text, with this parable, that we're reminded of the confidence that we have in you and praying to you and calling out to you. And so God, comfort your people, encourage your people, and challenge your people today. We love you. We thank you. And all of God's people said, amen. Martin Luther, the great reformer, Protestant reformer, said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Breathing is essential for our lives. If we do not breathe, we will not live. We will not have life. And in the same way, if we do not pray, we are not connected to the source and giver of life. Prayer is extremely, extremely important to maintain a vibrant, thriving, and growing relationship with God. Prayer is important in growth and holiness in righteousness, in overcoming sin, and you name it. Prayer is important as we journey through the valleys that get so dark, that deep darkness. Prayer is needed to find strength and wisdom during those moments. Church, to be a Christian is to be a person of prayer, and to be a person of prayer is to be a Christian. Now, we can be honest including myself, I've been doing ministry for over a decade and I've been following Christ since I was 18. Prayer is one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines in the lives of Christians. Prayer is often seen as optional. Prayer is neglected. And I'll be the first one to admit that guilt. I've been preaching to, I've been preaching to myself this entire week before I ever come and preach to you. One of my goals this year in my own personal life is to be a person of prayer, that my life would be characterized with prayer. And my goal for our church is to be a praying church this year. And it's not just something that I have a vision of, but we've already started implementing intentionally on how to make that happen. You see, church, without prayer, all this is is just a gathering. That's it. 
It's not the powerful and active church that God has called us to be. And so we need prayer. But again, it's very neglected in the lives of individual believers, and it's neglected corporately as well. And why? I asked myself, why? Why don't we prioritize prayer, or why do we neglect prayer, and why just don't we pray enough? Well, got a couple of reasons that you might resonate with. Well, I just don't have enough time. I don't have enough time to pray. Martin Luther, again, the great Protestant reformer, said, I have so many things to do that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. Hey, I just don't have time. I'm busy. I'm distracted. Prayer doesn't work. Have you ever thought that to yourself? Johnny, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. And God didn't come through, and I didn't get what I asked, so why am I going to pray if prayer doesn't work? And maybe you believe that theologically and mentally, maybe you, you believe that prayer maybe does work, but maybe practically with your actions and with our actions, we might say actually prayer doesn't work because of our actions. Maybe you say, well, God's too busy for me. There's a lot of people that have a lot of needs, but he's too busy for me. God is not going to hear my prayers. Who am I that he would actually focus on me? There's a lot of people in worse situations and worse circumstances, and why would God hear me? Why would God want to answer my prayer? Maybe another reason is simply, and I think it's a valid reason, I don't know how to pray. Maybe you came to faith and no one discipled you, and you're just like, how do I pray? It's a valid reason. It's a valid thing. And I wanna, at the end of the message, I want to give you some very practical ways on how to pray. Yes, it's a conversation with God, but sometimes we overthink it. And I want to make it super easy and super clear for you. But the, the, the list could go on and on and on and on on why we don't pray, on why we prioritize, like we don't prioritize prayer. I think one of them, lastly, is we just feel guilty. We feel guilty and ashamed approaching the throne of grace. God, you know my sin already. You, you know the things I struggle with, and so I kind of feel embarrassed going to you. I feel ashamed. I feel guilty. And so a lot of times, because we carry so much guilt and shame, we kind of hesitate going to God. Church, here's my goal. It's very simple this morning. It's not complicated. This message, you've heard it before. It's not complicated, but I hope, it's, and I hope and pray that it serves as a reminder to you, a reminder to you to pray, to ask, to seek, and to knock. And I hope today that this message and this word, the word of God just ignites in you a desire to pray, that it, it, it ignites in you this desire to call out to God and pray like you've never prayed before. And so what I want to do this morning is offer two major points in this text and kind of break it down in two sections. I want to explain the text briefly and offer some very practical implications for our life. And so if you're taking notes, the first point is this. I want to encourage you today to pray persistently, 
to pray persistently. Let's look at verse 5 through 8 one more time. And he said to them, to his disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And by the way, just a quick pause. If you're ever going to knock on your friend's door at midnight, it's a good idea to call him friend, all right? It's a really wise thing to call him friend if you're going to be waking someone up at midnight. Good idea. That's the whole point of this story, all right? No, I'm just kidding. But verse 6, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you though, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so Jesus gives his disciples this parable. A parable is simply a story that points to a spiritual reality. And he tells them this parable of a, of a, a friend, of a, of a guy that, that, that received a visitor and uh, he was on a journey and he's hungry and so he, he receives this visitor and so he has nothing to offer him. And back then you need to realize that hospitality was super, super important. Hospitality was important. If you weren't, if you weren't hospitable, man, you were shunned. You, you, you were looked down upon if you weren't a hospitable person. And so this, this guy, he, he gets a friend who visits him in the middle of the night and he's hungry. He has nothing to set before him. And so what does he do? He goes to the neighbor in the middle of the night at midnight. I just, I don't know why. I just think that's, that's kind of funny. I think Jesus had a sense of humor, and I think we see it here in a sense. It's just a funny, interesting story. But he goes to the neighbor in the middle of the night, and he knocks, and he says, hey, I need three loaves of bread. I got a visitor. I have a visitor. Have you ever done that? Do you, do you, have you ever done that? Do you remember? I mean, I don't think it happens a lot today, but when I was growing up, I remember going to the next-door neighbor and saying, hey, can I have, like, some butter? You know, can, I, I remember that. It's just, it just, just doesn't happen anymore, right? You just... Instacart it, and it arrives in like 20 minutes. It's crazy. But, um, but he goes and he knocks. And the neighbor says, in other words, what are you doing? It's the middle of the night, and you're knocking, and you're asking for food. You're asking, it's the middle of the night, man. No, I can't get up. I'm not going to get up. You're gonna, if, if I get up, uh, you're, I'm going to wake up all the kids and all my family. Like, no, this is not going to happen. Back then, in the first century, there were one-room homes. One-room homes. And so if this neighbor would wake up to give him food, he's going to wake up everybody in the house. Also, back then, the, to open the door was not as simple as just turning a knob. So he's going to make a huge a bunch of noise opening the door. So it was a little more complicated than that. And so this neighbor says, no, I'm not going to give you anything. But then Jesus says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, but because of his impudence. What does that mean? What does that word mean? Well, that word means this. It means urgency, audacity, earnestness, boldness, relentlessness. It actually could be literally translated shamelessness. Some translations uh, translated persistence. So he's, because he's his friend, he's like, I'm not going to give you anything. 
but because he kept knocking and knocking and knocking, and he would not go away. He would shamelessly, shamelessly, what audacity to wake up your neighbor in the middle of the night. So because he was relentless, because he was persistent, because he had absolutely no shame, he will give him what he asked for. And so then Jesus gives the promise and the application in verse 9 and 10. Look at what it says. It says, And I tell you, ask, and it may be given to you. Seek, and you may find. Knock, and it may be open to you. For everyone who asks may receive, and the one who seeks may find, and to the one who knocks it may be open to you. That's not what the passage says, right? What does it say? Will. Will. He gives the promise. He gives the application. If a grouchy friend, church, can be forced by his friend's shameless, persistent asking, here's the point of this parable, how much more will our loving God respond to our persistent, shameless petitioning before him? He will answer. He will give what we ask. It's a promise. It's a promise that he will bless persistent, habitual, continual prayer. He will. It will be given to him. Now notice this as well. I want you to notice the progression in this verse. It begins with asking, right? You simply ask for what you need. Then the intensity steps up a notch, right? Seek. Then you begin to seek after what you need and want. And then lastly, you knock. And so we see this progression of intensity here. In other words... What Jesus is saying is this, knock on heaven's door for whatever you need. Be bold enough, have this intensity to remind God of his promise. Have you ever prayed that way? God, you promised, you promised God that if we ask, you will give. It is reminding God of his promises, not in a in an arrogant or rude way, but really recalling what God has said to you and I, God, you promise if I ask, if I seek and knock, you will give. You will provide. And so this is an invitation, believer, for you and I to knock as hard as we can. And guess what? We only have to knock one. Because God responds and he responds quick. God doesn't respond to 
our request um, with, out of annoyance, but out of love for his children. So be persistent. Uh, I have a one-year-old, and she loves to eat. I mean, she eats all of our food in the house. She just, she loves what she likes to call snack, knack. All right, she loves snacking. She's like, knack. And man, when she gets hungry, she gets hungry. And so she goes over to the pantry, and she, these little, like, melt things. They're, they're really delicious. And uh, she points to them, and I, I give them to her, and, and then she hands them, hands them back, and she goes, knack, knack. Okay, so I give her a few, right? And then she comes back, literally, I'm not kidding, she takes like five in her mouth and just throws them in there. 20 seconds later, she's back for more. And uh, we're running through bags of this, this snack, but she keeps coming back, knack, knack. And I'm like, no, no, you, you know, we, we can't give you any more food. You already have enough. No, knack, dad. You know, like she literally, she is so persistent, man. She is so persistent. But as I was preparing this week, it was just reminding me, honestly, the fact that she kept on being persistent to me, how much more do I can be that persistent with my heavenly father? Where I can just bug him in a way until he blesses me. That's the invitation here that Jesus is giving us, to be persistent, not to change God's mind or not to change God, but persistence to change us, to change our hearts, to change our dependence upon him. Now notice something else in this passage. Maybe, maybe it doesn't come out in the English language as much as it does in the original language, but ask, seek, and knock are present imperatives. What does that mean? That simply means it's a command and it's a continual command. So you could actually better translate it this way. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. It's something that we do not just one time, but throughout our entire lives as believers, we will continue to ask daily, moment by moment. We will continue to seek and continue to knock. Jesus commands his disciples to pray, to pray habitually, continually, and persistently. So pray. Pray persistently, church. Now, I, I want to offer six brief implications of this passage. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down. They're not going to be on the screen, but there's brief implications of this passage I think will be helpful. Number one, God is not a grouchy neighbor, but a gracious heavenly father. Let me just remind you of that. He is not a grouchy neighbor that you have to beg. The scripture doesn't say beg. It says ask. He's not a grouchy neighbor. He is your, your heavenly father. I think for many of us, it's hard to believe that he's our father. We easily believe that it's the father and the God of somebody else, but it's so hard to personalize it. But he's your father. And he gives from that position of a heavenly father, not just, not a grouchy neighbor. Number two, the second implication is this. This passage, this is so important, especially in the day we live with some false uh, doctrine and false teaching. 
This passage doesn't mean that we will get whatever we ask for. We need to be very careful about this. Because I've heard that. Well, if you just name it, claim it, right? Whatever you speak into existence, whatever you say, like that's what, that's what God's going to give you. No, 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 no. This does not mean we will always have our prayers answered in the way or in the time that we want. It means this. It means that if we persist in prayer, our prayers will eventually be answered according to God's best for us. He knows what's best for us. We will not always get what we ask for, but that doesn't mean that our prayers went unanswered. A no and a not yet is still an answered prayer. There's no such thing as an unanswered prayer when it comes to a believer. No and not yet, it's still an answer. And it's for our good. He knows what's best. He knows what's good for us. We can't even see a minute or a second in front of us. God sees everything and he sees all. Third, we can come to God with our midnight emergencies. Amen. We can come to God with our midnight emergencies. God is not on a nine to five schedule, church. Let me remind you of that. We can come to God in the middle of the night when we can't sleep, where our thoughts and our anxiety are getting the best of us. We can come to God anytime, anywhere, any place. God has an open door policy 24 7, 365. As a pastor, one of the things that I'm guarding my family from, especially Ari, our baby, is from her resenting the church because dad spends a lot of time at church. And so in our family, uh, we, I, her dad, have an open door policy in our house that my daughter or my wife can come to me at any time, even if in, I'm in my office. I could be in the middle of prepping a sermon. I could be in the middle of prayer. I could be in the middle of whatever it is. My daughter could come to me at any time point. It doesn't matter. She could interrupt me. She could come to me and I will answer. And that is the same way that God sees you, that you can go to him. He has an open door policy for you with your fears, with your anxiety, with your worry, with your troubles, whatever it is, we can come to God with our midnight emergencies. Number four, fourth implication but we should not only come to God with our midnight emergencies, amen? God doesn't just want to see us when we need something and when we're in a bind. He doesn't want to just see us when we're in a serious need, but he just wants to have a relationship with you and I daily. So again, go to him regularly, not just with your emergencies. Number five, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, we ask God for what we need. We do not declare it, and we do not decree it. 
There's this movement that, movement that if you decree and declare that you have, your words have power to create your reality. My friends, that is not true. That is not true. God doesn't call us. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he didn't say declare. Declare it into existence. What did he say? Ask. 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 Because we're asking God who's all-powerful. Our words themselves are not all-powerful, but God is. And so we ask him. We don't decree. We don't declare Our words don't have that much power. God is the one who created everything out of nothing. He has the power. So we humbly but persistently ask. The flip side is this. I think the flip side of declaring and speaking into existence is wish. We don't wish either. God, I just wish it'll work out. I wish, I wish. That's the opposite of declaring and decreeing. We don't wish that everything just is going to work out. No, we ask and we pray to God. And number six, lastly, remind God of his promises. Remind God of his promises. That if he takes care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, will not he not take care of you and your needs? Remind him of his promises. Knock at the door. God, you promised that you would answer. You promised to provide for my every need. You promised. You promised to give me strength. You promised to give me wisdom. You promised uh, your Holy Spirit to empower me. Whatever need that you have, remind God of his promise. I want to read you one verse before we go on to the next point. This is, I hope this is encouraged, encouraging for those of you that maybe are hesitant to approach God. Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. First of all, Jesus knows the things that you are going through. We often forget that Jesus was truly God, but he was also truly man. He was tempted as you were in the very same way. So he knows And he can sympathize and empathize with what you're going through. But look at this, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's have confidence, bold confidence. Let's be shameless approaching our heavenly father. Let's be shameless in approaching the throne of grace. It's not the throne of judgment. It's not the throne of condemnation. It's not the throne of punishment. It's the throne of God's amazing and unlimited grace for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have confidence in approaching the throne of grace. Point number two is this. Pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Look at verse 11. 
through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so here Jesus essentially says, look, generally speaking, most fathers will give their children what they need and what they ask for. That's generally true. That if your son or your daughter come and, comes and asks you for something, you're going to give them what they need, especially if they really need it. You're not going to give them something that's going to hurt them. I mean, you wouldn't do that, right? A, a scorpion and a serpent, and Jesus is trying to make a point, a scorpion and a serpent will hurt somebody, will hurt a child. And, and, and a, a human dad who's been uh, corrupted by sin, even him or a mom, even her would give good gifts to their children, not give them something that's going to hurt their children. And again, the point is the very same as the previous parable. How much more then would your heavenly father give you something not to hurt you or harm you, which is sometimes the things we ask for? but give you something that you need. How much more will your heavenly father give you what you need who's perfect? He's not a human father. He's perfect and holy in every way. He knows exactly what you need. How much more will he give you compared to a sinful earthly father? And notice this in verse 13. He says, heavenly father. I think we skip over important words like that, heavenly father. Heavenly means that God is not earthly. It means that God is in heaven, that God is all-powerful, that God sits on a throne. Actually, if you go back to verse 2, when Jesus told his disciples how to pray, when you, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name, your kingdom come. And in the Matthew account, it says, your will be done. That's our heavenly father who's king, who sits on a throne, who's all-powerful, who's sovereign, and will accomplish his will, his, his perfect will. That's who you're praying to. You're praying to a heavenly father, an all-powerful father. But you are praying as well, though, to a father. You are praying to a father who cares and who gives, and guess what? Who loves you. A father who wants to give, who delights in giving to you. Now, I don't know about you, but the last part of verse 13 seems a little odd to me doesn't it? Very interesting. He says, how much more will the heavenly father give? And you would think, right? Like you would think that, that Jesus would say the things that you asked for. But notice what he says. How much more will the heavenly father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's just so interesting to me that he doesn't say, hey, I'll, the heavenly father will give you the things you asked for. No, he says, He'll give you the Holy Spirit. I just think that's so interesting. And so I dug and dug and dug. And I think the best, 
the best response and the best way to describe it was done by Pastor John MacArthur, and he described it perfectly, and I just don't think I could do any better, so I'm going to quote it to you. This is what he says, what this means. He says, quote, let me just make it really simple, okay? It doesn't say you ask for the Holy Spirit necessarily. It says, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. When you go to ask God for whatever you ask God for, whatever it is, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Let me show you what I mean. You ask for comfort. He gives you the comforter, right? You ask for help. He gives you the helper. You ask for truth. He gives you the truth teacher. You ask for power. He gives you the spirit of power. You ask for wisdom. He gives you the spirit of wisdom. You ask for guidance. He gives you the guide. You ask for love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. And he gives you the spirit whose fruit were released in your life. You see, this is the generosity of God. You ask for the gift, he gives you the giver. You ask for the effect, he gives you the cause. You ask for the product, he gives you the source. Is that generosity? He gives you according to his riches, not out of his riches. You ask God, as it were, going to the bank. You ask God for money, he gives you the bank. That's the point. I'll just give you the Holy Spirit then you've got it all because out of the Holy Spirit comes power. Boy, that is powerful. That is powerful. Implication number one. Our greatest need, listen closely, is not a what, but a who. Let me say that again. Our greatest Need is not a what, but a who. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We do. We need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives because we are too dependent on ourselves way too dependent on ourselves, myself included. Our greatest need, church, is more and more and more of the Holy Spirit. How do you get more of the Spirit? Well, let me just say this. The filling of the Spirit is not something like a gas tank where you fill 100% of the Spirit and then you go through life and you're at 50, 25. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. You are always 100% as a believer filled with the Spirit. The problem is, are you yielding, surrendering your life to the Spirit? Are you in God's Word? Are you praying? Are you obeying? Are you not quenching the Spirit that lives in you? We need more of the Spirit. Implication number two. This is so important. Please grab this. Implication number two, we pray from a position of sonship and daughtership, not friendship. Let me say that again. 
We pray from a position of sonship and daughtership, not friendship. We pray from inside the house, not from outside the house. We're already in the house. We pray from that position, from the position of being a child and son and daughter of God. So pray expectantly that he's going to meet your needs. Third implication is this. Prayer is not trying to overcome God's reluctance, but taking hold of his willingness. Through your prayer, you're not trying to overcome God's reluctance. You're not trying to kind of like manipulate God or convince God to give to you. He's already willing. He's just waiting for you to go to him. James says we have not because we ask not. It's kind of the, uh, the commercial, the lottery commercial. It says you can't win if you don't play. It gets me every time. You can't be blessed if you don't ask. How do you want to be blessed if you don't simply ask? So ask. Ask. Pray persistently with no shame. He's your father. And pray expectantly. I want to end with just some very practical next, very practical, simple next steps. I want to end first by talking, though, to those of you this morning, or maybe those of you that will watch this sermon sometime in the future. I want to talk to those of you who are not in Christ, who are not Christian, who are not saved, who never surrendered your life to Christ, who never repented of sin and placed your faith in Christ. I want to talk to you for a second. What I'm about to share with you is going to sound very shocking. It's just not very popular. But it's true, and I want to share it because I care enough about you. You see, to pray expectantly and persistently, and everything I've said before, those are promises for the believer for those who are in Christ. But let me lovingly and graciously tell you this, that if you are not in Christ, God does not hear your prayer or God does not hear in a way to answer your prayer. I know that might seem harsh. You see, the Bible, the entire Bible gives us many reasons and characteristics of the person that God, where God doesn't hear their prayer or in a, in a, he hears it, but not in a way to answer that prayer. There's a lot of characteristics. Let me just read you some. This is a snapshot of the many. God doesn't hear or answer the prayers of those who have iniquity in their heart. Psalm chapter 66, verse 18 the word of God says that he doesn't hear or answer the prayers of those who practice sin habitually, continually, unrepentantly. Isaiah chapter 59, 2, John chapter 9, 31. The Bible says that God doesn't hear or answer the prayers of those who forsake God. Jeremiah 14, 10. The Bible says that God doesn't hear the prayers or answer the prayers of those who reject God. Proverbs 1, 24 through 28. The Bible says that God doesn't answer or uh, respond to the prayers of those who disobey 
the law of God. Zechariah chapter 7, 11 through 13, and the list goes on and on and on. All of these are characteristics of someone who's not in Christ. But let me tell you this. Let me bring some comfort to you, though. There is one prayer that God does. Answer and listen, and he is waiting for. And that is the prayer of repentance and faith in Christ Jesus. If you pray a prayer of repentance, the prayer itself doesn't save. If you pray and you genuinely repent of your sin, meaning turning away from your former life, turning your back on the world, and you place your faith in Christ and you pray genuinely for God to save you, that is a prayer that he hears. That is a prayer he delights in. And guess what? At that moment, you are no longer outside of the house, but you are inside of the house. And you have a heavenly father who listens. Amen. So there's nothing magical about the prayer. You right there where you're at, in your heart, in your mind, say, God, I repent of my sin. I place my faith in you. I recognize I'm a sinner. I want to be in your house. I want to live for you. Holy Spirit, come and dwell in me. Change me. Transform me. Pray that prayer, my friend. Pray that prayer. Believer, let me just give you some practical next steps. Very simple, very practical. Again, number one, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today with what I like to call the five by five by five. For the next 21 days, this is my challenge to you. is to spend five minutes in the word, five minutes in meditation, and five minutes in praying the 21 days of prayer. If you're already, if your prayer life is going strong and well, great, bump it up 10, 50, whatever you want. But for those of us that struggle, hey, baby steps, baby steps. Take a basic next step. These next 21 days, five minutes in God's word, five minutes in meditation. A lot of times what happens is we read the word and we go straight to prayer and then we forget what we read. You read, You meditate on a word, on a phrase, on the topic, on a theme. You meditate on it, not emptying your mind like Eastern meditation, but you fill your mind with God's word, and then you pray based off that. Very simple, very practical challenge. 21 days, five by five by five. I promise you, it will change your life. It will change your perspective. It will change how you view God how you view yourself, how you live for us, it will change you. Make sure, if you can possibly, I know with those of, those of you guys that have kids and many kids, it's kind of hard, but make sure and try your best to have unhurried and unhindered time. Find an unhurried and unhindered time and place if you can. Don't rush through it. Don't try to speed through it. Slow down. You're not in a hurry. We're always too busy. We're always too distracted. Slow down a bit. But Johnny, I don't know how to pray. Guess what? You're not alone. And guess what? There's a time where I didn't know how to pray. And I'm still learning how to pray. So you're in good company. Let me just 
offer a brief, brief way on how you can pray. I call it chat. I want to chat with God. When you pray, begin with confession. Confess your sin to God. Specifically, not just God, forgive me for all my sin. No, God, forgive me for waving at the person when I was driving. Forgive me for how I talk to my spouse. Forgive me for how I talk to my coworker. Forgive me for the lustful thoughts that I've had. Whatever it is, specific confession. Second, H, honor. Honor God. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. God, you're worthy. Maybe you're reading a text that talks about God's goodness or greatness, God's provision. God, thank you for being a provider. Thank you for being gracious. We honor you. Honor God. A stands for ask. That's very simple. Ask. And again, don't ask generally. Ask specifically, specifically what you want. Ask. And ask persistently. Ask expectantly. And ask for more of his spirit in your life. T is thank. We could be here all night. Thank you, God, for Thank you, God, for this. Thank you, God, for my salvation. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you, God, for my spouse. Thank you, God, for my church. Thank you, God, especially thank you, God, for my pastor, right? That's prayer. That's not complicated. Keep it simple. God wants to chat with you. I want to end with one quote. I think it's powerful because sometimes when we think about prayer, we put our trust in prayer not in the object of our prayer. You've often heard that prayer changes things. I actually believe that prayer doesn't change anything. Let me explain. John Calvin says, prayer doesn't change things. God changes things in answer to prayer. That's how things change. He is the object of our prayer. He is the source of strength and power. He's the one that changes things in answer to our prayer, but our prayer itself does not change anything. God changes. God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, all-sovereign is the one who changes things. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, Please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.